Okay. As always, we'll start with missing blanks. Do we have any missing blanks? We hit them all today, huh? Okay. Questions in general. Oh, um, Don's. Oh, Don. I, Don's got one here. Don. Steve, he, the, the, the three people who listen need to hear this. If you'd be so kind, Steve, can you give Don a mic? This is Don. If, if I say Don, I know Don, but you may not know Don. What'd you miss? Thank you. The last uh, three. Uh, in the box? Yes. In this, okay. The last three. Self-deception of who and what we are is a real danger. How we live either verifies or denies our faith. And these three marks are the main topics of the rest of the book. And that box is trying to tie together all of 19 to 27 and, and why I thought it was worth to go slowly through it because of how central it is to James's theme and purpose. Okay? Yes, Steve. I had a comment. Um, oh! I, I understand that you don't get too many compliments, but your message, your message was very poignant. Um, very appropriate for instruction, and I appreciate that you slowed down, and I got all the blanks filled in. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. What's Mark Twain? I can live off a good compliment for a month or two. Yeah, that, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, questions, thoughts? Um, I'll be covered. I'll, I'll go forward with some stuff then. If you're wondering where to start, especially with the orphans and widows, I would just encourage you to think of, and again, with those concentric circles and spheres, we can get overloaded um, when you realize how many people are suffering in the world. And in some respects, that's not helpful. Biblically, I think God is holding us accountable for who's in front of us. So the example that James will use precisely of someone like this is in chapter 2. Your brother or sister comes to you naked without food or clothing. I mean, they're at your door. They're, they're right there in front of you, right? Um, so it's not a bad thing to help people overseas and to send money to children's fund. But really, the first order of priority and responsibility is what's right in front of you. And so within your family, within your church, within your neighborhood, I'd start there. And who are the people that need, who are suffering, who, who could use comfort, visitation? And You'll probably know because you don't want to because you don't get much, in, much out of it. That's probably a really good sign you're on to something. Not, I mean, and, and, and do both. I mean, I have, I have interactions. I was talking to somebody about this last week that I know I'm going to get a ton out of. They're there to recharge me. I'm spending time with someone just as much for the joy, the encouragement, the refreshment I get out of spending time with them. There are other people who I know it's going to be more initially work. It's going to be more me giving. And... That is a good thing, and it's good to balance that out. So it's not that all we're doing is just pouring ourselves into others, but we need to be doing that. that there needs to be a place in your life. You, you can't be too busy with important things to neglect this. So I just, if you're thinking, what can I do? I don't visit widows and orphans. Think of somebody. Ask the Lord to bring someone to mind in this body who you think would be blessed by some encouragement and some time and, and go spend some time with them. Um, if you're willing and desirous, I have no doubt God will give you wisdom and grace to do this. It's that we are doing this. It's that our hearts are leading to this. 
Um, and, and if you want some tips or thoughts, come talk to me. I could point you to where some people I think might be blessed by some time with them. Um, so don't let this crush you with the immeasurable size of the problem. And there's just so many widows and orphans and so many people suffering in this world. True undefiled religion is marked by God's people doing this. Do this. Find a place to do this. Make time to do this. Um, because it's God's heart, and, and it is rewarding. I mean, that's where we image our God. We get to model a God who leaves heaven and comes down here and lives among us in our suffering. We get to go do that. Um, so that, that, if that's too abstract, I just want to make it concrete. Like, but I challenge you, plan to do something. If there's nothing in your life, I don't do this. I, change that. <laughs> And start wherever. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's not like you're, here's your list of people you need to go visit. Start somewhere. But, but do something. Um, as long as you're doing something, you'll be on the right track. The Lord will show you and make it clear, and, and things will work out. Dawn. I hope you won't hear what I'm not saying. I'm intrigued. <laughs> yes, sir. But James uh, has a focus on, on doing, on, on works, on that. Yes. Um, I think we, but I, I, I don't think there's any uh, contradiction or, or uh, opposition in what Jesus was saying, but it's not, I don't think God is, uh, is concerned about what we do or don't do as he is with what our motive is and what our power is. What we're do- so wh- why we're doing what we're doing or not doing yeah. and what power is it? Is it am I doing it in the flesh or am I doing it by his spirit? Yes. Let me, let me, um, um, so are you done? Uh, no, no, go, go, go. Just to say the, the opposite of love is not hate. Yeah, it's uh, indifference. Yes, it's, it's walking apathy. by. It's walking by the man on the road. That's uh, hate. Amen. Let, 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 me, let me take what you're saying. I think there's two errors that we want to avoid, two ditches on the side of the road. One is the error of feeling things, having affections and desires and attitudes, and thinking that because we do that, even though they never actually show up in space and time into anything, we're good. The, the danger, I mean, I've, I've done this before. I've listened to like a series of sermons on parenting or being a husband, and Paul Washer can beat you up, and man, you get to my bike ride, and I tell myself, man, I'm so convicted, I, I, must, I must be doing okay. No change, but I just remember how convicted I felt during that bike ride. He said, man, I'm a terrible husband, and no change. And so on the one hand, if all you have are feelings, oh, man, and I, I remember when you're at that worship service, and tears in my eyes, and the music, I was just caught up in it. Okay. On the one hand, yeah, but what did that produce? What did that do? What, what, did, what fruit did that yield? Not because the works themselves are anything meritorious, but the self-deception is just feelings, just thinking that doesn't do anything is self-deceiving. You're right in critiquing. There is a dead orthodoxy that doesn't care, that just does, that is equally dangerous, where you don't have the spirit in you, you don't have the right motives, you just, by willpower, grit your teeth and do it. And that's useless as well. So if I'm, if I'm overemphasizing, I'm trying to get James's emphasis, and right here I think James is emphasizing 
doing, but it's a doing that comes out of, he's, he's talking to people, first of all, who he's writing as being birthed by the word. He's writing to believers. This is not how you become a Christian, but this is how Christians need to grow and act, first off. You don't become a Christian by doing stuff. But James, I think, is, is, is emphasizing the error. Paul hits the other error of works. His error is, and I, probably because of his Jewish background, because it's the Pharisees' error. They knew stuff, they could quote stuff, they could recite it to you, but they didn't do it. And so James is saying, be careful of that. Be careful of that. Um, you're saying, and be careful of just doing stuff and thinking that doing stuff in your own power, without the right attitude, without the right motive, is anything. I, amen. Which one's more important? Well, which wing on the plane is more important? Which blade of the scissors is more important? Amen. Now, that said, I'm trying to, in teaching the passage, try to emphasize some what the author's emphasizing. And James is certainly emphasizing work. Show me the works. And we'll be there for a while. So it is good periodically, because James's letter would take 10 minutes to read. And, but we're going to be in it for the better part of a year. To periodically pause and say, yes, James is hitting this note. There are other notes. You know, I'll think of theology like a score of music, and James is hitting certain notes. But you, you can be in error, in a sense, simply by having the proportions off. If the, if the brass section's too loud and you can't hear the string section, that's not right. And so we need to, when you're going through a book over a year, it's good to pause and, and counterbalance some of the notes. So on the one... Because of how strong James' point today, I mean, true and unfollowed religion, you deceive yourself, I want to hit it real hard. But yeah, it, we, if we kept doing that week after week after week after week after week, you would start having the brass section be a bit loud. So is, does that speak to what you're saying, or am I just... Okay. Did I hear what... I heard what you weren't saying. I failed. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, no, but what no, but what you're saying is right. Is that there is a, a just do that's that's dead as well. Um, absolutely, Paul talks about through asceticism and self-made religion, it's worthless. It's absolutely worthless. Um, Deb, is that what that isn't that? <laughs> Our question is, is that what they were talking about in Ephesus when they lost their first love? Is that not what he's talking about? Yeah, they had the works. But they didn't have the love. They didn't have the passion. Um, absolutely. And that's, that's also one of the reasons why I teach this. I'm trying to emphasize how this comes out of the character of God. Really, what I think James wants us to see and get passionate about this is if you can see how God has spoken a true word to you and how powerful his word is and how central it is to who he is. It's his, I've said this before, it's his weapon of choice. It's his tool of choice. God's word seems to be... Um, whether it's rebuking, giving life, creating the universe. It seems to be how he likes to get a lot of things done. And we see how powerful it is. And we recognize we're, we're birthed by the word. And then God says, okay, I want, I want your words to be life-giving. I want your words to be true. I want your words to be right and fitting. And, and we then get to go speak. And we can even speak his word. And if you can catch a vision for that, you're not restraining your tongue because that's what I have to do because i got to keep the rules. You're doing it because I want to be like my father who birthed me. I want my words to reflect something of his words. And likewise, in seeing compassion for the, the widows and the orphans, it's not because that's what I have to do. I mean, that would be the wrong way. Okay, I guess i got to find a place this week to visit a widow and an orphan so I can be a good Christian. 
are you enthralled by the beauty of God's love for us that came and tabernacled with us? How God, as the ultimate good Samaritan, saw us on the side of the road and, and picked us up and carried. Does that seem beautiful to you? Guess what? You get to go as Christ's body, be his ambassadors doing that here and now on earth. You know, um, and, and so from that vantage point, I think those are the right motives, the right reasons. If you just walk away saying, the pastor said I got to do this if I want to be a Christian, okay, that would be, that'd be useless and dead. And in Ephesus, Deb was drifting towards that. They lost their first love. Um, and yet they were doctrinally sound. They were, um, they were uh, distinguishing between false prophets and false teaching. And they had a lot going for them. And Ephesus had John as a pastor. They had Apollos. They had Timothy. I mean, they had quite a pedigree of leading teachers in their foundation. I mean, man. I mean, can you imagine if, like, who are your past pastors? The Apostle Paul founded us, then Apollos, and then um, John came for a bit, and Timothy was there until Paul showed up to pick him up. That's your, that's your you know, I, the guy who's next, it's, it's got to be intimidating. Um, and yet they were drifting from their first love, absolutely. That, that, that's equally con- a concern. Bennett. Thank you so much. Um, You were talking about a lot about passion and love and companion and all that stuff. And when you brought that up, I started to think about my seizures. And if I had a choice of getting rid of my seizures, I probably wouldn't. Because the more I learn about growing older and learning more about my seizures, I feel more closer to God. Yeah, it makes me think of Paul. His his power is perfected in our weakness. Um, yeah. And there's more to what I was trying to say. Um. I don't know why I got put on earth with seizures, but God does, and that's all that matters. Amen. Amen, Bennett. Amen. Good word. Good word. I might not ever find out, but um, I might find out someday, but I want to be like a person who represent people who other people who have seizures and I want to be a good role model. Amen. Amen. And I I would probably say to them, you could look at the glass half empty or you could look at the glass half full. I chose to look at the glass half full and I followed in Jesus Christ. And I went out standing places. Um, and I got to meet like incredible people like Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. I'm sorry. Oh no, th- thank you. We have we have another hand, Christina. Oh the mic's mic's right there. You go, Christina. No, thank you for sharing that, Bennett. That Amen. that is a that is a that is a encouraging testimony. Amen. Thank Amen. you for being and faithful. And I just want to um, say I echo Bennett's heart. Um, since I've lost my sight, I um, 
I had the same feelings that, um, you know, I just, I've always, well, I've loved the Lord for a long time, but at the same time, I know that with me losing my sight, um, it's brought me closer to the Lord, and I appreciate that. I mean, a lot of my family, they're like, well, why don't you get a surgery or this or that? But I'm so contented, and I just praise God for my disability, and I just wanted to um, encourage Bennett in that as well. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect worth, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And if it's, it's right in there with James. Donna. I just want to say, uh, first of all, people in this church are amazing, incredible. Um, you never know what little thing is going to touch your heart. And one day... Stacy Moore and Jacob Moore and her kids and Carolyn stopped by and talked to me over my balcony. And they can't possibly know how much that meant to me. Also, um, Greg Rolex family came and caroled me. And all those little things that people do, I mean, it doesn't have to be a big thing, but it gives you encouragement and gets you through the time of the COVID when you're not out and about as much as you want to be. But I just want to say, you know, any little thing, um, I just, I cling to all those little memories that people showed they cared and they showed their love because they gave their time. Yeah. So I just wanted to share that. No, Thank no, you, Stacy. You, you'd be amazed. I'm constantly amazed at how what I think are little things where we try to do something kind have far greater impact than I ever would have imagined. My wife likes to do Maydaying little Mayday baskets. And we found out that a woman recently widowed on our street um, was like looking forward to it for like a week <laughs> and afraid we weren't going to do it. I was like, whoa, how much joy that brought. I mean, just something my wife did. Um, and I was, I was floored by how, how much of an impact that had. And um, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you've had something similar or just some, some kindness either someone did to you or something you did that you didn't even think much of really had a large impact on somebody else. George. I was, I was but not, not Devorah, though. I was going to take it, and now I'm like... Right. Okay. Well, I just saw your video post of you and Devorah having something to say. Yeah. I'd like to hear from you, but... Oh, okay, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, do you have any guidelines for uh, watching... F- so, a balancing assurance of faith yeah. uh, when you're looking for signs through your works yeah. with... Yeah. Uh, unprofitable introspection? Sure. Um, I, I think the first part is the local church is central to that. In one sense, we oversee each other's discipleship. And so in one sense, the local church welcoming me in is an affirmation of my profession of faith. And when we welcome people into membership, there's a sense, there's an examination. Um, hey, do you believe what we believe? Are you pursuing what we're pursuing? And then there's a hey. So there's an affirmation there. And likewise, Church discipline, when it reaches its final stage, is the church saying we can no longer take your profession of faith as credible because of how you're living. So right there you got some boundaries. In one sense, if I'm not under church discipline, the body is to some degree affirming my faith. Beyond that, um, the people I know, the, my, my inner circle of friends know me, and especially, we'll get to James, confessing your sins to one another. As, as you're sharing your struggles, you've got people who can testify to the growth they're seeing, 
or can testify to the lethargy and the, the slack they're seeing. Um, and so that becomes a, another measurement. I mean, I, I think I told you when I was in college, I was really being challenged about the way I communicated. And I hadn't even told it to a friend of mine that that was happening. One of the professors in our meetings, biblical counselor, and um, we we're, were trying to um, help me speak the truth and love better. And he just one day at the table said, hey, man, I just want to let you know I really pre- I've seen a change in your language. And it's, it's incur- that was incredibly encouraging. And not like, yay, I'm good, but like, yay, God's working. God's changing me, right? Um, I'll give you another thing of assurance I get when God disciplines me. I get way scared when I know I need discipline. I don't get it. <laughs> no, I feel loved when God rebukes me and chastises me like a father patiently. You know, And when I feel like I've been straying and nothing happens, that's actually when I get most nervous. Um, I, and then myself with, do I carry out the things I intend to do? So if I make a decision, if the Lord shows me something, I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to start doing that. Here's a real practical, did I? Yes. <laughs> you know, um, as opposed to sitting around navel-gazing, like, is, do I really believe, really, really, really believe? Do I really believe? Which I think can be the danger when, when you base your assurance on that moment of decision. And, and out of all the things the Bible calls us to take assurance in, works aren't the only thing. Your beliefs, your doctrine. I don't see faith in that moment of faith ever as being the basis of your assurance. Um, so are you believing now? Amen, right? Um, are you trusting now? Absolutely. Um, I don't see anything about five years. Now, we, we logically deduce that because we know salvation happens in a moment in time. Unlike Roman Catholics, we don't believe justification is a process. And so we believe it's instantaneous. So there was a time in a moment, in an instant, I went from being dead to alive. I went from being under wrath to forgiven. That is true. But I don't know if I can zero in. I mean, for me, I can give you a month or two in July, July and August, and late, late July, early August of 1999. Somewhere in there, those things happened to me. I, I don't. Other people can tell you down to like the minute. It's oh, cool, awesome. What are you believing now? What are you trusting in now? What are you doing now? Are you a believer now? Um, so all of those types of things, and and there is an experiential testimony. So. Romans 8, his spirit testifies with our spirits that we are sons of God. There is a sense in which the comfort I receive from him, the testimony of his spirit, that I, I don't know how to say it, like, how do you know you have peace with God? I think in some sense it is experiential. I think it is, it is a feeling. The problem is that, that one category of assurance has become the dominant category of assurance. I know because that and the decisionalism. I made a decision on this date, and I have good, peaceful feelings. And the predominant weight of the biblical test would be, okay, what type of fruit is the tree bearing? And so I'd put, all, I'd put all those together and not want to just grab one meter stick, one measurement, and ignore the others. There's a panoply. I mean, you can work through First John, and you've got, hey, how are you dealing with your sin? And John will give you these black and white statements. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So, hey, are you a person who, when you see your sin, is confessing it, or are you saying it's not there? There's, there's a test, right? Um, but then you get to chapter 2. By this we know that we've come to know him, that we are keeping his commandments. The one who says, I know him, and does not keep his... Con- I'll, slow, sorry, I'll slow down. The one who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Well, there we're back to basic commandment keeping. But then you get, then you get to two. Are you loving the world? Then you get to, are you loving the brothers? Then there's a doctrinal test. Are you confessing that Jesus has come in the flesh? 
Then we get back to another sin. I mean, John's got all these statements. Here's how you can tell. So I'd bring them all together and say, hey, how am I doing? And what we're looking for is growth. It's not a meter. It's not a bar. It's not like a test where if you score 70%, you're saved. It's rather, what direction are you moving in? Um, the, the, go to Second uh, Peter. Second Peter 1 is part of the reason why I can't put my finger on when I, when I was saved, when I was born again, is because I was saved out of thinking I was saved. I had made that prayer as a child. I knew facts as a kid. And if I, if I uh, emphasize this, it's because that is my experience. I, knew, I cannot remember learning. I can't get behind the knowledge. I'm sure there was a day I did learn. But I can't remember learning the basic facts of the gospel. As long as I can remember, I've had an orthodox understanding. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, fully man, fully God. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith. Jesus died as a substitute on the cross, rose on the third day, and on the basis of faith in his name, we can be saved. I have known that as far as I can remember reaching back. Um, And I lived like hell in my late teens and 20s. I lived like a son of perdition. Um, And God woke me up to the fact that what this is not a fig tree this is a thorn tree through and through and through um and so when he got my the last thing i wanted to do is is presume so i really struggled with assurance at first because i had been deceived before what if this is a flash in the pan what if what if i'm excited for a week or two and then it all dies and goes away so i was hesitant to say okay i'm good and so the first passage that really gave me some assurance of my salvation was right here in 1 Peter 2, um, 3 through 11. By his divine power, he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. What he, what he just said is God has given you many great promises so that you can fully become like him. He has provisioned you with everything you need. He's promised it to you, and he's given it to you in his word. Okay? That's, that's the first bit. And then in five, for this reason, because of the promises and because of the, the, the equipment he's given you, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, growing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. And that, so First John is great, but he's so black and white, it's kind of like, well, by this we know that we know him, that we keep his commandments. Do I keep his commandments? Sometimes. I try. You know, it's really hard to say, yes, I keep his commandments. Learning Greek helped a bit with verb forms. Are, you, are we habitually, regularly keeping his commandments? Can I say that's something I'm doing throughout the day, day in and day out? Okay. But at the time, I was just like, I'm hesitant to say, yeah. But we love the brethren. Do we love the brethren? Somewhat. You know, like, it was hard. He's so black and white. This is the first place where, can I say I'm gro- Yeah, I can see growth. 
I, I can see growing. Okay, that's how I get myself confidence in insurance. And this is another assurance passage on another basis. This is a general sort of ethical growth. My growing in knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. For if you possess these qualities, you are neither fruitless nor useless in your knowledge of the Lord and Savior. This is, so here's one, right? So this was, for me, a very encouraging passage. Probably the first passage where I was able to say, you know what? I, yeah, I, I can see his hand at work in me. I can see change in my life. I can see growth. And I can, I can, I can on that basis, say, yeah. Um, so... And I'm sure there are plenty of other passages. This is one for me that's very helpful. Um, so, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. What else? Oh, Liz. Um, I have a question just based on... Um, this could fall into the categories of like widows and orphans, but also yeah. just people you're serving in general as a believer. Yeah. Um, is there ever a point where it, you help too much or serve too much and they're taking advantage? Yes. Or, okay, so when would be the time to kind of, or, or something to kind of look for with that when you're kind of tapped out and you just don't know if you just continue to give or continue to support sure. and you understand that it's maybe not helpful? Right. right. Let me, let me get, I'll get to your question. Give me a second. The first thing, by saying widows and orphans, I think James is grabbing a familiar handle of a category of people. Other scripture gives us even distinctions within that group. Um, so I'll give you, let's look at widows. Let's look at the qualifications for a widow in First Timothy 5. Paul doesn't mean each and every widow without exception goes on that list, and he actually has some qualifications. Um, so I'd apply some of these to, to that type of thing when you're dealing. And again, plug in widow for any helpless, powerless, um, left-alone person. So 1 Timothy 5, um, we get this, verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. Right off the bat, we realize there are widows, and then there are widows. What do you mean, Paul? Um, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness. So his first concern isn't ethical. It's simply, is she really destitute? Does she really, he doesn't want the church unduly burdened. So if she's got a family, have her, it's good for her family to learn to take care of. It's good for her family to give a return to her. Let her, let her do that. And the assumption is a widow who is financially destitute. So that's his first direction. This isn't a quality of, of whether she, the, so that. That's partly why I say I don't think this means widows, because he means by widows someone destitute without resources. So we have widows in our church who that's, this is not them, right? They have other needs, but not every widow in our, in our body is, is left alone where she needs to go live with her family because she has no other recourse. Um, that's one qualification he gives. If a widow has believing children, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, so there's, there's a qualification, um, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who's self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. If all this person's doing you're trying to minister to is like ordering things off the TV, you're, you're not helping them. Maybe what you need to help them is a, is a gentle rebuke. 
So Paul is not just saying every widow meet their needs for the, for the widow's list. First, make sure they have needs and their near family can't take care of them. Second, even if, okay, my family can't take care of me, will you help me now? Are, are you trying to pursue Christ or are you self-indulgent and dead while you live? So there's, there's, there's a measurement stick. Um, um, uh, verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children and shown hospitality. So the widow's list seems to be a pretty big deal to get on. Um, now go to Galatians 6. I think there's some helpful um, tips and constraints here. Um, and a lot of times when people are asking for help, especially financial help, Galatians 6 is, is very instructive in framing how, um, for long-term purpose. I mean, most people, if you ask me for help at the church for help, we'll probably do what we can initially. I mean, anybody who comes by asking for gas, I'll fill their tank and buy them a pizza. But for people who want long-term help, hey, I'm going to need help over a long haul, I'll usually quickly try to get some reciprocity going, by which I mean, okay, cool, there's going to be responsibilities both ways. And I get that from Galatians 6. Um, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual shall restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So the first warning here, the logic, I remember this hit me like a thunderclap. What's that for doing? How How does the for... The first word of verse 3 in the ESV, relate verse 3 to verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, swap in the word because. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, because if you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. The logic is the reason I won't bear people's burdens is I think I'm too good for it. So the first danger when you're looking at, okay, is could it be that I just don't want to do it because I think it's beneath me? They did this to themselves. This is their hole. They dug it. They can get out of it. They made their bed. They can sleep in it. Right? I mean, so that type of mentality is self-righteous. If it's, I shouldn't have to be bothered. Um, But then he gives another guardrail. So the first guardrail would be like, checking my own heart. Am I feeling self-righteous? Am I feeling that I'm something when really I'm nothing? And my my reason I'm giving for not helping is because they're a mess. They made it. It's their fault. Um, so then the next piece, but let each one test his own work. Then he has reason to boast in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. Okay. So even with someone who needs help, they still have a load they need to bear. And frequently that's the rub in long, when long, when I've engaged in long-term help with people is we will, I mean, we, we had a, one family a few years back. We will, we will supply what you lack. You need to bear the load you can bear. The Lord's got a load for you to bear. Will you bear it? And for a while they did, and then they said they didn't want to, and then, okay, that, that's our, we, will, we will give you what you need if you'll be faithful what the Lord's given you to do. And we'll work with you and we'll be patient, but if you don't want that, then... So, yeah, if I was helping somebody and it became clear they were unwilling to bear their own portion of the burden, they were an unwilling really, to do their work, I would disengage um, and explain why and call them to repentance. I mean, it wouldn't, be this, it wouldn't be like one strike you're out, but it would be like, hey, you aren't doing anything. You, let's figure out what work God's given you to do in this. What's your burden to bear in this? I will help bear your burden. 
but you can't just cast it all upon me. Um, and so even with widows, they're praying, they're caring for the saints. Like, what can I do? You can pray. That's some of your burden. You can, you can care for people. You can encourage people. I mean, um, you, you can do those things even from a hospital bed. So there's, there's a principle. Um, and then this further reciprocity in verse 6, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Um, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. So if I'm going to help someone long term, there's going to need to be some openness and reciprocity both ways. Uh, I, I had one guy about eight years ago who was needing some help with some stuff. I was like, look, if we can get to know you, if you'll open yourself up and we can actually get a relationship, yeah, the more, the more you let us in, the more we can help. If you want to keep us at an arm's length, there's only so much I can do. Um, that, that, I mean, like I said, I'll fill anyone's tank and buy anyone a pizza, but you, know, you want me to help pay your rent. We need to get to know you. And I'm, I'd love to get to know you and like, see what's going on. But, so back to your question, when is it too much? Um, when, when those things are taking place, when they, when they aren't seeming to be willing to bear their own load, when they, um, when they are being self-indulgent and not pursuing Christ. I mean, right here we're talking about Christians. It'll be a little different with unbelievers. Um, but certainly with Christians, they're pursuing Christ. So there can be people who um, lack because they gambled it away in the big game. Now, now there's a, the key difference here is this. I think we, and, and that's where the temptation is to say, well, that's our own fault, and you reap and you sow. Are you dealing with a repentant gambler? Because the prodigal son comes back repentant, and the father welcomes him. So you can waste your money on drink or gambling or whatever, and say, help. And if you're repentant, I'm going to try to help you. But part of repentance is being willing to be safeguarded. I might want to check and say, look, since, this, since gambling is a problem, can we, can, what can we do to help you not do that again? Yeah. Um, and if you were like, I don't need help with that. Okay, I'm, I'm not sure how repentant you are if you're not willing to put some safeguards up, man. Um, so there is a sense which you need to reap and sow. But when you're dealing with repentant people, they messed up, we, we should let the prodigal son's father be willing to receive them back in. That's the type of exorbitant love God shows. So I wouldn't want to say to someone, I can't help you. You did this to yourself. If they're repentant, if they're willing to say, yeah, I, I messed up, I, I help. If, on the other hand, they're still being self-indulgent, you're giving them money and you find out they're like ordering things on Amazon they don't need, yeah, I'm not going to keep giving them money. Just like I'm not going to give money to someone who's going to go buy drugs or, or alcohol. I, I don't see anything biblically that's good about that. You know? um, and so, so does that help with your answer to some degree? I would say it's always good to give people without food or clothing, food or clothing. But the difficulty, what I didn't have a chance to say in the message, is not everyone who claims to be powerless is powerless. Not everyone who claims to be vulnerable is vulnerable. Not everyone who claims to be poor is poor. The, the axes on those things that you get biblically is right around the level of the sustenance. So Paul says, if we have food and clothing, well, this will be satisfied. Like, do, you, do you know you're going to sleep tonight? Do you know what you're going to eat? Do you have sufficient clothing? Like then biblically, you should be content not saying, I am in desperate poverty and need. Somewhere around there. I don't want to get like absolutely dogmatic, but that's, those are the types of lines the Bible is using. James is going to talk about your brother or sister coming to you naked and without, and without food, not relatively poor. 
We live in the richest country in the richest time of the world. The relatively poor are not necessarily the poor. Which is why I'm not trying to tell you who these people are. You're looking for the powerless, the vulnerable, the people who have little recourse, the people who are alone and exposed and suffering. That's what you're looking for. That's what you're thinking about. And you're going to find them in different places. Um, so with, with the unbelievers, I think just showing them the love and kindness of Christ is good, um, where, you, where you see that. Um, but you may have those people also who are doing it because of their own folly. Uh, um, and that's where you've got to use wisdom. You've got a, an unbelieving neighbor whose drinking is destroying his life. His, his wife left him. He's lost his job. And, you know, okay, I'll reach out to him, try to show him the love of Christ. I'll also try to bring truth with that, you know, and, and, and tell him, hey, you're, you're just reaping a little bit of what you've sown. Let me tell you the judgment to come and how you can escape it. Um, and you can help those people. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But that's not usually when you're enabling. That's not usually when you're perpetuating issues. So with unbelievers, I just say, be kind. You're not, gonna, you're not in the day of judgment going to regret being kind. And as much as I try to use discretion with panhandlers and things, I don't think on the day of judgment I'm going to get rebuked by the Lord by getting taken advantage of by a guy who really wasn't desperately trying to get to Colorado because his wife was sick. I don't think the Lord's going to say, well, why didn't you see through that? So I'd rather err on generosity. I'd rather err on kindness. Um, is that? Okay, cool. What do we got for time? We got five minutes. Okay. Who's next? Nobody's next. Oh, Steve Sparks. And then George. George, you're going to bring us home. You're going to close us out. Steve's going to see us up to bat. He's the troublemaker. Yeah. I, I wanted to know why the church doesn't drive down to the Rio Grande, open their back doors, and load them up and bring them home. The Rio Grande? The, the Rio Grande River. Why doesn't the church drive to the Rio Grande River, pick up illegal immigrants, and bring them home? I believe doing so would be in defiance to Caesar. I don't believe those are my decisions to make. Um, no, no, this is tough. I, I got involved, no. I mean, and, and I'll, be, I'll be happy to be instructed in my thinking on this. I was approached when I was towards the end of my time at college with, um, actually, I think it was in seminary, with some guys who were working with some poor people in L.A. doing a church, trying to do a church plant, and they were asking me if I was willing to get involved with it. And one of the questions I asked, and I don't have a clear answer. I know what I tend to think, but... My cement's wet. I'm totally open for instruction was, how do you counsel a new believer who's an illegal alien? I think I'd count, no, I think I'd counsel them to go and turn yourself in. I mean, plead for clemency, plead for mercy. I want to stay, but I, I think um, giving unto every moment what they owe would involve that. That ended our talks. <laughs> Me floating that idea. Um, how would I counsel someone who's here illegally, who's di disobeying Caesar? Um, I think that's how I'd counsel them. In the same way that if someone came to me and said, you know, in my former life I was a bank robber, I think I'd say, you need to go turn yourself in. One of the scariest things I ever did in my life was calling a credit card company that I had scammed back in the day. Um, a friend of mine, I, I, I just told a friend of mine when I was in UNH, Mom, these are the good fruits of that time in UNH, um, that, hey, you know that they're insured by the FDIC. If you go down to the ATM 
when it's snowing so you can legitimately wear a ski mask, withdraw money, and then say you didn't withdraw money, they'll credit your account, right? And he said, really? I said, yeah. So over the next couple of days, we'd take turns drawing, withdrawing the max. And yeah. So I called Discover Card to tell them that. They were not happy with me. They simply were unable to prosecute because I couldn't find the account because I didn't know enough information about my friend. For them to, oh, they wanted to. It was, I mean, I was sort of hoping the woman would be like, oh, that's so nice. No, she treated me like dirt, and I, was, I deserved it. But I was trembling calling these people as I realized I have wronged these people. I took part in wronging these people. Um, and, and I need to seek, I need to make, try to make that right. So, yeah, my understanding is just because your sins were committed before you became a believer doesn't mean you, there's no consequences and there doesn't need to be restitution. Zacchaeus said he'd repay four times those he robbed, right? So, so that's a long way of saying it's, it's complicated. Um, but uh, it's complicated. But I would say that for those who are here legally, for those who the Caesar's willing to let, absolutely. The immigrant worker, the... The, uh, the families who are from other parts of the world and look different than us, yeah, absolutely. Why aren't we inviting them, welcoming them? I mean, the, the, uh, the word for hospitality literally is, um, I think it's xenophilo. Philo from, like, brotherly love, xeno, like xenophobia. The stranger, the alien. Lover of strangers and aliens. You don't get any better than welcoming someone from a radically different culture and a radically different background than you, who you don't know, and getting them into your life. That's hosp- Biblically, that's hospitality. Hospitality is not me having the sweets over. It's good to have the sweets over, but that's not the love of strangers. So that's a line long answer, Steve, but that's why I don't drive down to the Rio Grande. If, if Caesar said, go for it, that'd be a different matter. But I do think God gives nations the rights to, to determine such things. I think no. I think I think Caesar's within his rights to uh, to control his borders, um, and I think I would be in defiance of that if I engaged in helping people circumnavigate that. That's my conscience and my thoughts. George, bring us home. We got two minutes. We can talk more afterwards, Steve. I, like I said, I'm open to be instructed. I heard the baptism quip. <laughs> uh, what? Yeah. So, how do you? I, I and I actually agree with it. So. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't be finding our righteousness from the, you know, a type of circumcision that we do or anything like that, like any type of right. But at the same time, like, how do you, uh, how should we, uh, healthily think about how sacraments like, or ordinances like baptism or the Lord's supper work in our faith? (laughs) Yeah, I, I think, I think the, let me go to the passage in Galatians I was referencing. So let's hang this on a text. Galatians, I believe four, um, what was in my mind. Um, Nope, it wasn't four. Is it six? No, five. It's Galatians five. So, Paul is making a very clear distinction on a very fine point that we need to have a fine point on as well. Um, And it is, what are you trusting in for your forgiveness, for your standing with God, for your justification? Um, I've tried to make the point that these fruits, these confirming works, confirm our faith. Um, they, they testify to the reality of our faith. But Paul makes a particular point of making it clear, but you're not trusting in them. You're not putting your trust in them. 
you can take some confidence from them. You can take some encouragement from them. You don't. You dare not trust it. So he here is dealing with the issue of circumcision. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not again submit to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say that if you accept circumcision, and by, I think, the clear argument of the book, accept it as a means of justification. Because elsewhere he says circumcision is nothing. It doesn't matter. The reality of cutting a piece of skin off or not cutting a piece of skin off is, is inconsequential. But here, given the five chapters, the four chapters before this, I think we can clearly implore, if you receive circumcision as the necessary ingredient to be saved, Christ will be of no advantage to you. That's a strong statement. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by law. So the fine distinction we've got to make is justification is by faith alone, full stop, and confusion on that point leads to really strong statements like that point. And so I would let nothing else in that box. On what basis do I have a standing before God? My faith in who and what, who Jesus is and what he has done. Nothing else, there's no room for anything else in that box. Um, now, what comfort and encouragement do I draw from the Lord's table? What encouragement and comfort do I draw from my baptism, from the work of God in my life, seeing him change me in moments? Tons. What confirmation do I get from that? Strong confirmation. So I, so I think the key point is that razor's edge of, but why am I forgiven? What's my standing? It's Jesus alone. Full stop. Done. You know what I mean? And the prop, Alex, you can actually bring us home. But the problem is, a lot of evangelicals get that, and then they rip off the other chunk. It's just Jesus alone, nothing but Jesus. And James is here to say, and if you got Jesus alone, some things are going to happen. <laughs> you know. Um, but on the other side, you don't want to so emphasize works that you, it's, it's the root fruit point. What's the root? What's the fruit? It's the basis and the confirmation. Faith is the basis of salvation. The lives we live confirm it. They testify to it, just as the fruit on the fruit tree testifies to the type of tree it is. Alex. And the fruit that you see if, you know, you're commanded, hey, you believe, get baptized, and somebody's like, no, I don't want to. (laughs) It's like that showing fruit also. Yes. That something isn't legitimate. No, someone once asked me, Are you telling me if I don't get baptized, I won't go to heaven? I'm telling you, hearts that ask those questions should be nervous. (laughs) That's okay. On that note, we're done. Thank you. Okay.